0: All right, welcome back, listeners and viewers to the Totem Living Room. Excited for episode number three of the podcast. Hope you've enjoyed the first two. Um, I'm pretty excited personally about this one because the topics today are near and dear to my heart, and uh, I think the bottle of bourbon that we selected is a fantastic pun on the situation that we're going to talk about today. So welcome Mm -hmm. to Michael and to Paige, and uh, let's dig right in with the current event of the the days that we are in the middle of right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Crazy days. If
1: you had told me six months ago that um, I would have suggested we record a return to work podcast, I would have puked all over it. But here we are. It's exciting news. It's no longer speculation. Um, Well, I'm sure for some companies it is, but... um, (laughs) At the time of recording this, Reed Smith um, has just announced their return to office date will be 3-1, so right around the time that everyone is listening. All 26 of you are listening or... Uh, watching this, Reed Smith will be back to work.
0: And that's um, relevant because they're the largest law firm in the city of Pittsburgh.
1: Yeah. Like 620 some employees. I believe. Yeah.
0: 270 actual attorneys.
1: <laughs> yes. So the largest law firm in Pittsburgh, um, other law firms, larger firms, uh, have already announced they're going to be following suit or that they have a similar plan for back to work. Um, which is great. Um, because Selfish, I mean, twofold for us, really. Uh, you know, we've been downtown most of this time. Kevin, you've already always been bullish on being downtown, being in the office, you know, ha- having a presence amongst the inventory here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's going to be great to see more people on the streets. Hopefully we can get some more restaurants down here opened up. Um, but, yeah, I mean, talk more about the implications of what this means outside of worse traffic.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm ready for the traffic. It's been wild. I I live 14 miles from the city and I can get downtown in 14 minutes, which I yearn for the day of it being a true 30 or 40 minute commute because um, a strong downtown makes a strong region. I think right now, as of March 1st, there's only about 36% of the pre-COVID workforce Actually, in downtown office buildings right now, and that is uh, no way for a city to operate or to run efficiently or economically, candidly. What's really interesting, though, on the same backdrop, is visitor trips to downtown are back to like 85% of pre-COVID levels. It's because so, there's no traffic. <laughs> well, maybe. But isn't that interesting that the workforce is only back at 36%, but the visitor population is so back at 80 you mean like 80-
1: leisure, not like t- tourism, Not tourism. Right? Yeah, leisure,
0: leisure like yeah. market square.
1: Right.
2: Yeah, I think it's interesting. The amazing part is that it is just shy of two years that they closed up. So they've... <clears throat> They have not been back in full force for the better part of two years. We came back downtown in August of 2020, correct? Correct, yep. Yeah, so we've been down here for 17 months longer than uh, than that, and it'd be great because now you're going to have a lot more people down here, and I think that the other service amenities, the restaurants, the shops, they will start to come back because the people are here.
1: Yeah, and so to that point, I was going to go down probably a rabbit hole about like the d- leisure being back already but the workforce not coming back to the office because you know we we have talked about that like are are people really uh don't feel safe going back to the office or have people realized that it's a better quality of life to have the balance because people are still taking trips and going out to restaurants and what's the difference between that or going to the office.
0: Right, it really um, doesn't make any sense. I even noticed in some of the announcements about the return-to-work policies are still like so archaic, if you ask me, because those same employees have no problem going to PPG Paints Arena for a hockey game. Mm-hmm. They don't have any issues going to the Benidum for a show. But yet, going to the office is a scary thing. It's uh, From an administrative perspective, it's fascinating. Which yeah, I
2: mean, I, th- I think the hybrid thing, I, that's that's here to stay. Um, if if COVID has given us one gift here uh, that that will be long lasting is that hybrid workforce. Mm-hmm. People do enjoy staying home and working from home, but they do want to be back in the office too.
0: So, don't think, you think from a management perspective, though, that's going to be so difficult? Like I, lo- I I think the theory of the hybrid work mm-hmm. is great, but when you're employing 600 people in Reed Smith's case, or you know 10,000 people in PNC's case. How do you manage that workforce on a flexible schedule without serious like HR labor conversations happening? Ineffectively, yeah. Right. Well, I, I, think- I
2: can't see how it will actually occur that you'll there there are future downstream consequences that you're going to face from that. Right.
1: I think it's going to be like a split board. I mean, I think that there are employees who thrive at home and want to be at home and want that flexibility and don't care about their company culture. Um, And I think that there are going to be firms and organizations in every sector that will be 100% virtual. But I think more competitive, not even more competitive industries, but I think in other firms and organizations there will be a highlight on the experience and the culture of the company. And I think that'll almost become a recruitment tool to some extent, where some some companies in tech will continue to recruit on the flexibility and, you know, the work-from-home optionality. I think other companies will become like a, you know, like the Google. Like, we have this campus. We have all of these things here for you. I think once people get back, get back into the swing, into the routine of going to the office, I think we're going to see, like, an incredible resurgence of like the amenity war um, because i think companies will start to paint their space as a place that employees want to come in order to foster that company culture that makes them a more attractive option for recruitment
2: and i think companies that actually had an existing culture prior to the pandemic are probably going to modify it there'll be changes that occur just simply because this is what people are getting used to now
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think everyone's had to have that flexibility.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and if you come full circle to how that impacts downtown, I mean, we have a plethora of Class B minus C buildings that were built 50, 60, 70 years ago that just are not competitive in the landscape today to bring employees back to uh, the city. So I think it's going to be a fascinating um, kind of rebirth of downtown over the next 10 years because – I do think the return to work things real and it will be here, but, you know, sitting in a eight foot clear ceiling, no windowed office, I think those days, those days are gone or are, mm-hmm. are yeah. definitely going to be gone. Yeah. So it's going to be so, very interesting to see what the next
2: year and a half brings as people do start to repopulate downtown yep. and the new businesses that will come here too.
1: It's going to be interesting to see what the next 20 minutes brings in this podcast, but <laughs> can't wait. Um, so as far as leasing activity, um, let's talk a little bit about um, how we feel the market has been impacted or most recently with companies coming back or companies deciding. And I don't want to talk about it a ton because we're all burnt out on those discussions from during COVID. But in the last three to six months, um, what has the activity level been like? Uh, in regards to office leasing um, in the downtown area?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's still really, really quiet. I think the leases that have happened have been leases that are either renewals um, of existing term or really just hunkering down for a little while longer um, with short-term extensions, et cetera. You still have not seen any major, major downtown office announcements. There's been a few in the... You know, fringe areas and in the suburbs, but a lot
1: of movement too. Yeah, a lot like of movement. Some big, big tenants going from downtown to perimeter locations.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, but velocity itself is still way down. Um, and I still think it's a, an incredible buyer's market or tenants' market. You know, UPMC is subleasing space at US Steel Tower that they're um, advertising it at $15 a square foot. So, I mean, if you ever wanted to be downtown, And talk about an amenity-rich building. It has everything you could ever dream of, and the space is gorgeous, but they can't even give it away. So I think velocity is still uh, an issue that the city's going to have to overcome.
2: And probably when people do go back and start to recommit, they're going to be on smaller spaces, perhaps less people populating those spaces, but the spaces themselves will be
1: consolidated. Do you think it presents opportunities Uh – to bring more smaller firms downtown? Do you think we'll see an increase in smaller footprint users who maybe pre-COVID wouldn't have been able to afford real estate downtown? Or do you think it's completely situational?
0: I think it's situational.
2: Yeah, I think that, you know, from the perspective, it's not space that's driving uh, the repopulation of downtown. It's access to employees everyone has to be competitive and they want the best employees possible and they're kind of in the catbird seat now dictating well I want to work from home during this time and I want to be downtown and I want it to be this and that's what the employee base will be saying and the, I think yeah the
0: competition well, thing for the employees is wild I mean we're working on that project right now where the client has seen three departures um, with uh, the person leaving doubling or tripling their pay not changing jobs, just changing companies and doubling or tripling pay. I mean, the competitive landscape for really good talent in Pittsburgh right now is something to behold for sure.
2: Mm-hmm. And that will affect space use and how they populate it, but I don't think we have enough information to to say it's going to go this way or that way.
0: Right.
1: Okay. So you don't think leasing leasing volume is up drastically over what it was? Nine to 12
0: months ago? No, I think it's still...
2: Yeah, I think it's pretty much the same place. <laughs> yeah. um, there, there, There is activity going on, but most of it is, uh, I don't think, <clears throat> a better way of describing it, I don't think there's any net absorption. In fact, I think that we're losing more space than anything.
0: Yeah, from a percentage basis <laughs> page, you're probably right, like percentage-wise, if there was one tour nine months ago and now there's two, that's a 100% increase in activity, but it's still... Non existent activity.
1: Right. So let's talk about the timing of all of this. Um, you know, probably coincidental. Right. But um, let's talk about what happens around the time of year of March for people who are leasing space in any facility.
2: Well, right now, you're. Michael going. is hot <laughs> to trot on hot this to topic. Yeah. Well, if you haven't <laughs> received them yet, um you're going to receive them shortly is your operating expense breakdowns from last year and um, the budgets coming forward
1: and, and what what for anyone listening who does not know <coughs> what it just give a little one minute crash course on operating expenses.
0: Well, one minute on the most complicated <laughs> thing in real estate go yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're on the clock
1: on
2: the clock and uh, so, when you lease space, let's just take downtown by way of example. Uh, when you lease space here, you're either going to craft your lease under a, a full service scenario that's either going to have an expense stop or oh,
0: pause there. What's full service mean? Okay, Wait, for pause the people b- before <laughs> all
1: of this, when you lease space, you have base rent, which is the dollar square footage number that
0: mm-hmm. most people talk about. That I most pay people talk about twenty dollars a square foot,
1: which is like just the top layer, and then when you peel back the layers or dig deeper, the lease structure that you agree to will also include not outside, above and beyond that, well, not always, but in addition to that base rent figure, or sometimes baked in partially or fully into that base rent figure, you will have operating expenses. So every landlord, every different lease structure can pass those through in a different manner. Right. So... There's base rent, There's tax. Well, there can be taxes, there can be insurance, and then there can be every other expense involved start from with operating the building, up. or operating the building. So
2: the rent that's just the rent on the space is called the triple net rent, okay? That's the rent that the landlord provides absolutely nothing, typically in a retail, retail space.
0: Or an industrial space. Or an
2: industrial space, I have this box of space that I'm going to lease and everything else that's required to operate it. The common area costs, removing the, the, the snow, doing the landscape, paying the taxes, paying the utilities, cleaning everything, emptying the garbage.
1: Advertising, marketing.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All of that stuff would be added on, on top of it. Okay. So that's triple net. Then you can break down the various nets. Now, this is where it's begins to get confusing and only gets worse as you go uh, further up the chain. Yeah, and unfortunately,
0: it's not like one language. It's almost like dialects, depending on what market in, depending on when you learn the business, depending on if you're an office specialist or an industrial specialist. Absolutely. People throw around these words, but it is dialect-specific for sure.
1: I don't want to totally expose myself, but like two years in the business, and I still will go to Kevin from time to time or Michael Mm -hmm. for clarification. Mm -hmm. So we had like a – a whole Kevin Riley whiteboard Mm -hmm. session on this recently (laughs) where we broke it all down so that I could visualize. But it is, there's no, there aren't specific lanes for all of these things. Like everyone can do it a little differently.
2: Yes. And everyone does do it differently. And like Kevin said, markets will do it differently. But basically one of the nets is the cost to operate or to maintain the building. Who removes the snow? Who uh, who picks up the garbage? Who uh, fixes the roof? Who leak. fixes the roof leak? Who, who lights does the this, parking lot? Who lights the parking lot? And then there's another component that one of the nets is your utilities, whether that gas, water, sewer, um, trash, and then another net would be your insurance and, and taxes. And taxes. So you have these breakdowns there. So it's the question is who provides the services? Who is responsible for the services? And <clears throat> Who ultimately pays for the services, what are included and what aren't.
1: What's billed directly to the tenant, what the landlord pays and then gets reimbursed by to the tenant if there's a markup on any of those services.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a really key thing to reiterate is it's who provides the service who's responsible for the service being provided and who pays for it. Like it's three different buckets. Three
2: absolutely different buckets. And then.
0: And I'd venture to guess that 90 plus percent of the tenants out there have no idea what well, the lease says.
1: It's funny too. I mean, I, I always I think, think about, they mean, just
0: get the bill. Yeah. I, I
2: actually, always think they, about they, it they, when we got 90%. Um, right.
1: There is a develop a landlord in town that every year sends very nice Christmas gifts and that is most likely a pass-through to their tenant. So they're sending out probably 500 tenants. beautiful gift sets, probably 50-plus dollars apiece. And that is a line item that they are passing through to the tenants of their building.
2: When that wonderful landlord takes you to the Pens game or the Steelers game or the Pirates game. That's an operational expense pass-through. Yeah, and Somebody what's the Michael Castle line? <laughs> I, I can give you a dollar and take it away seven times. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to, again, the structures. And, and that's not to say landlords are bad or... Today's program <laughs> is brought to you by the good folks at Larceny.
1: Which, guys, I don't know if anyone else knew this, <laughs> but Larceny means theft.
0: Yes. Which... Yes. Yes, and we are obviously playing on it a little bit, but um, landlords at the end of the day are in business to make money, and I think it's just important that the tenant understands that and then understands how they make their money. And one of the problems,
2: and we've talked about this before, the cocktail party conversation. So someone says, oh, I I just signed a lease and I, I got a full service rate for $24, and then you're kind of sitting back wanting to ask the next question, saying, well, what is the operating expense? Did you get a base year or did you get an expense stop? Um, And it's completely deer-in-the-headlights moment for them because they absolutely know that's an entire section of the lease. They have no clue. They have no clue of what the landlord can charge them. They have no clue about all the costs that are associated with that. And getting back into this real estate true-ups and expense cost pass-throughs, this is where the landlord hands you that bill and said, oh, well, we thought it was only going to be $6 a foot, but in actuality, it's eight fifty a foot. So in a sense, that base rent that you thought that you were paying, which was, let's just say, $20, is now 2250 because he handed you another bill. And this is a bill that's going to go ongoing throughout your lease. It's a, it's a price that you're going to pay Throughout the term of your lease. Yes, yeah, so let's talk in like numbers, real. Well, quick. Well, and I just wanted to go oh. back
1: full circle because I think I cut him off in asking to explain what opexes were or opex was. But basically, at the beginning of every year, once a landlord gets all of their books settled, we'll call it for the year prior, mm-hmm. um, the tenants the tenants will have a right. And correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm sure there are a million different ways this can break down too. But the tenant has a right to audit those expenses to ensure that their pro-rata share of those expenses that they are being charged is correct. But then at the same time, they also get projected expenses for the following year, correct?
2: Kind of so. The upcoming year. Or the upcoming year. Depending if they negotiated those rights to audit and what degree those rights to audit were in the original lease agreement. Sure. That they can – audit it with some teeth.
1: Yeah, so rights
0: to audit and ability to audit almost are unaffected by the fact that this is the time of year, whether you have the right to audit or not, that you're going to find out, is there a new bill coming and what is that bill? And whether you have the right to look into it or not, or the right to do anything about it, there's plenty of leases that say, sure, you can audit,
1: but... And if you do it. I mean, how many people have that in their lease, don't know they have that in their lease, and are so busy with their day-to-day operations of their business, the last thing they want to do is comb through and audit, you know, landlord expenses. Right, and I
0: think COVID happened, and everybody audited their lease for a concept called force majeure. We'll talk about it on another program. but um, Program. <laughs> podcast <laughs> hey, program. Grandpa. Oh, Jesus, stop with the <laughs> grandpa jokes. Um, but <laughs> in this particular case, it um, – It's auditing of that expense line, not necessarily the force majeure. And we've got some wild examples of things we've seen. Mm -hmm. But um, it's uh, it's just funny that everybody's coming back to the office this time. And I bet last year they didn't pay attention to these bills at all. But this year maybe they're going to pay attention to it
1: a little closer because a lot's changed. Even just janitorial, like think of the more stringent, wide-spanning janitorial that a lot of landlords brought in just to try to make people feel safe to come back to their buildings. You're Who's paying, paying for, for that? It. Right. <laughs> well, so, you, you are. And then, and then there's the situation where in some leases, um, landlords will attempt, you know, their, their standard lease, because why wouldn't they, will attempt to have the tenants in place also okay. assume the the pro rata share of any vacancies oh, in the this, building. Oh, this, yeah,
0: we need to We need to very clearly go through this one because this one's fascinating.
2: Yeah, let's just go back to the COVID protocol uh, concept. When everyone has been out of the office, there have been changes that have been made to the building, okay? Whether it's additional cleaning, whether it's additional products, putting those little stands six feet away from the other guy's sticker. HEPA filters, HEPA filters modifications. MERV 13 filters. Yeah. <laughs> modifications to your HVAC system to to accommodate that?
1: The antibacterial door handles that still everyone touches, but they swear we can't get germs from it.
2: If someone claims that they have COVID and now you're forced to completely disinfect your office, there are a lot of costs that would be incurred there. And the landlord is not going to incur any of them because most likely he has a clause in his lease that says, I have the right to pass through this cost to you. So if your cleaning costs, which typically can be anywhere from $1.25 a foot to a dollar seventy-five a foot, I would almost guarantee you're going to see those costs go up to $3 a foot. And that's before we get to any modification they made to the HVAC system or any other staffing protocol that they've had to put in place. So that should be the very first thing someone's going to look at it. And whether they were talking about entering into a building on a an expense stop basis or a base year basis. And a quick discussion of that is, if you leased a space for, uh, let's just say $24.50 a foot, and your expense stop was $4.50 a foot, that language means the landlord's obligation to provide these services stops at four fifty. Under a base year scenario, under the same structure, if you lease the space at $24 a a foot and then in the first year of occupancy, the cost of of your occupancy, Mm -hmm. the cost of operating the building was, let's just say, $6.50. The landlord's obligation stops at $6.50. So that goes right into the base rent that you had alluded to before. That's what you would have been paying. Now, most new buildings when they deliver they're given estimates. This is what I think it's going to cost because typically in a brand new building, you wouldn't have incurred all of your costs in the first year. So a base year doesn't make sense to use. so you would use an estimate base expense stop. But if a building has an operating history, you would most likely want to have the base year expenditure.
1: So right now, though, so if I was looking to lease space right now, And so let's call it March of 2022. Sure. And a landlord wanted to give me a 2020 base year.
0: That'd be a no-no. That would be a no-no. That would be larceny. (laughs) (laughs) That would absolutely be larceny.
1: And uh, let's explain why.
0: Because, Because. Because,
1: I mean, Michael explained how base year works, but with a specific example.
0: Sure. So if you were leasing space in 2022 and the base year that your lease had in it was 2020, that would mean that whatever it costs to operate the building in 2020, let's call it $10 a square foot.
1: Which pre-COVID, before we knew the implications of the you know, better cleaning, better filtration, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Right. Now in 22, if it costs $13 a square foot to operate that same building, day one of your lease, based on that structure, your lease is whatever you agreed to in rent plus... $3, yeah, $3 a square a foot. foot. Whereas if you had a 2022 base year, then day one of your lease, your lease would be for the rent that you had agreed to, and you would only be responsible in 2023 for increases that happened in 2023 over 2022. Um, so long as you also didn't agree to a situation which we had hinted at, which was If the vacancy of the building goes from 100% to 50%, I'm sorry. Yeah, the occupancy of the building goes from 100% to 50% during this same window of time. um, Some leases and landlords have written it in such a way it doesn't cost less to run the building, right? Whether there's.
1: Most costs, there's fixed costs. Yeah, there's fixed costs that don't
0: go away taxes, insurance, uh, the roof, the HVAC systems, those don't change. So in that same example, where in 2022, it costs $13 a square foot to run that building. If your lease is structured in such a way where the landlord can pass through all expenses of the building, both your pro rata share and your pro rata share of any vacant space, meaning the fixed cost expenses, you can see major swings in your expense year pass-throughs, even though you thought you signed a full service lease. It was yeah. full service for one year, and in every subsequent year, you're, you're on the hook for that. And We actually have a client whose uh, operating expense pass-throughs were more than their base rent in 2021 because the vacancy of the building caused a fixed expense that got passed through to them on a perorata basis, and it was a devastating bill to get. They signed an extension
2: and didn't adjust their base year when they signed the extension. So, whatever they were given, there was an automatic, and I think at that time. It
0: was a 2007 base year. 2007 base year.
2: And uh, there was, you know, if they were signing the extension at $22 a foot, they were already paying $28 a foot. And that was pre COVID numbers.
0: And at a fully occupied building in 2020. When the world changed, not fully occupied and a little bit more expensive to run the building. So, yeah.
2: so this, is, uh, this is the landlord's, the argument is it's the landlord's transfer of risk. Once you occupy And their ability
0: the to keep their rate of return the same.
2: Absolutely. Right. And when you, the other part is, what is he charging you for? Okay, what is he allowed to
0: charge you for? Or she. Or she. Okay, keep this. Or they, or we. Or, or they, oh, we, yeah. right. or we. or you edit that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the on. landlord. The landlord. The
1: landlord, they.
0: The
2: landlord right. entity. Um, <laughs> what are they allowed to charge you for? And this is where it can get really
0: haywire. And it's so different from market to market. Right now, in the Pittsburgh market, you're typically able to negotiate a, uh, a cap, meaning that even if the increases go up, that you are only exposed to maybe a 3 or 4% increase. It's almost like an inflationary hedge for you, the tenant. But um, you know, as you guys know, we're working on a project in Dallas right now, exact same situation in terms of how this all works, but the cap in Dallas that you can negotiate is 10% right now. So think about that, two different markets, exact same structures, but Dallas is so concerned with rising pricing that their mm-hmm. landlords are only agreeing to a 10% cap. I mean, we haven't seen increases in operating expenses go up by 10% in one calendar year in my whole career. Uh, have you? Well, we haven't gotten those breakdowns this year because I do think that there's going to be an impact
2: from COVID. Right. This would percent This would be the time it would yeah. hit,
1: though. And inflation uh, and labor shortage. Well, I mean, we haven't even hit the labor
2: shortage and inflation part yet. That's what Dallas is really worried Cause, about. Because it, it really has a, a year to a year and a half catch-up period. Um, but now that COVID's hit, because now you're putting all this, you know, the, these, these new services and these new pieces of equipment into play, this would be the beginning of the time that you can recover them. Right. And it can be an astronomical amount of money.
1: Yeah. And it's, I mean, again, like two years in the industry with two very great mentors, and it's still something that I have trouble understanding or, or like really getting, um, so I think it's like it's a wild, not that you
0: don't understand it. I think it's that it's so it's different nuanced, every time. and it's different yeah. every single and it, time. It,
1: it, nuanced is the perfect way to describe it, and that's why it's wild to me when I hear of a tenant signing a lease without representation, without real estate representation. Because even your lawyer, I mean, some lawyers. I'm sure we'll pick up on that nuance. Yeah, if they're real but estate lawyers, they'll pick up on lawyers. it. But, is there- but some people who are executing you know, like... I, I,
2: even, even great real estate lawyers do not understand how to operate a building. Right. Or the cost of the And a lot of times, before to,
1: before the lawyers get involved, you've already agreed to certain terms in an LOI, so it's right. too late. They,
2: they are an so a- after the fact solution.
1: It's. I mean, that's the PSA here. <laughs> yeah. Please, God, don't. I mean, if you are the person looking for space, if you're the tenant, the NU, well, the tenant in this case, yeah. um, understand that when you go to the landlord, um, they're not bad people, but they are looking out for their interests here. And if you aren't represented by a real estate professional, no one is looking out for your interests, and no one will be attuned to the the spe- the specificity of how the, op-ex is, the operating expenses are passed through year to year. I'm, I'm and gonna, that's a huge exposure.
2: I'm going to jump off a sidetrack here. The lease that you sign today is with a landlord. That might not be the landlord you deal with tomorrow. So in this particular case with the exponential increase in operating expenses that we were talking about previously that property traded it got sold to a different landlord an extremely professional landlord and by the word professional <laughs> i mean the uh, good with so numbers really good understands with understands operating the rules. business <laughs> so when he bought the building he bought it at a much higher cost than what was it was assess that. So automatic double. tax increase that you're going to pay for.
0: Okay, The fitness facility that's an amenity that's free to the tenants typically is an expense that the landlord puts in the operating expense bucket, not just to run the, uh, the gym, but what people fail to realize is if the gym is the whole first floor of the building, guess what? The building's paying rent to the landlord for the gym, and all the tenants are sharing in the rent of that gym. In some of these
2: cases, one of the you'll see it in every lease, the landlord has the right to change and modify space. Well, that actually means he has the right to remeasure the building and change the common component and change your proportionate share. So it very well could be the case, he takes the property outside, out of the the actual structure of the building. So you're paying rent on that, and he's increased your common area share because there's less space that he's getting revenue on.
1: What do you mean by that takes it outside of the building?
2: Well, if he, if he like, takes don't. it out as an amenity... Let's like say it's the, no building, in the building. Let's say the building was two hundred thousand feet, and he took ten thousand feet out, out
1: of inventory. Now to make he's it dividing
2: up. your space over one hundred ninety thousand feet. So you're but a percentage But charging out. you
1: for what he took. Yeah.
2: <laughs> your percentage went you I've seen the same thing happen with uh, uh, management offices that are within the building, and you know, just charging for those things but removing them from the space. This, like I said, a landlord can give you a dollar and he can take it back seven times.
0: I think the real PSA is try to sign a gross lease that's fixed and can't change. Good luck. (laughs) Good luck. But, you
2: know, and certainly you want these services. In fact, you pay for these services. You're more than willing to pay for them, but you just don't want to get hosed on them. Right. And you want to know what
1: you're signing. Absolutely.
2: Knowing how you're going to be charged for something and knowing what he's going to charge and justifying it, and then asking for the right to look back and say, this is not right, I want this removed.
0: And there's usually a very short window, which is full circle back to, it's interesting that companies are moving back at this time of year, because typically, even if you're savvy enough to negotiate the right to audit, it's in a very, very win or narrow window of time, maybe 30 days. If maybe you're really good, days. maybe 60 days. But it's a really, really narrow window, and if you miss it, that right's gone. Oh, and they can be extremely restrictive, that you can only audit them our books here in this space
2: with this thin window of it's like when the government but releases this,
1: files, but 98% of it's redacted.
2: <laughs> yes, it, it gets to be an extremely uh, tedious
1: And then effort. what happens? I mean, what happens after an audit? So you audit their mm. books, and then what?
2: Well, it really would depend on what your lease says. Sometimes that you can say, "I can only, I will only adjust this audit if you find a five percent discrepancy." Hmm. Well, so even with them, a they
1: still have. Oh, I'm good. Okay. They still have a five percent.
0: Well, the, the just, if that's the number, it could be a higher number than that. It could be a lower number than yeah, that. Yeah, because they don't want to get in a fight over pennies, like five yeah. percent. They're like, "Ah, eh, that's yeah. within a rounding error," so we don't want to fight about it. Yeah. Um, even though five percent could be a big. Five percent can, be a, can be a huge number, huge number. Right.
1: especially if you fight to cap it at three if you fight to cap mm-hmm. your expense at three percent increase well
0: what I think if you can- 're a three thousand square foot tenant, then a five percent cap mm-hmm. or a five percent kind of like uh, you know rounding error is okay, but if you 're a half a million square foot tenant, a five percent rounding error could be substantial and in that case, you wouldn't agree to it because you'd have some more leverage. In this one particular case that we've referred to,
2: <clears throat> when they signed the base year in 2006, the operating expenses for the building were $2 million. When they got their 2017 pass-through, it was $3.7 million to operate the building. And that wasn't a tax increase. That was outside of the... Oh, man. Mm-hmm. So... It's something that everyone should be pay serious
0: attention to. And I feel like we didn't even get into, like, at the beginning, we talked about full service, gross, triple net. Like, we could spend an entire thing just describing For those sure. things. But I think the simple uh, way to describe it is that those are just words, and what really matters is the definition of those words in the document. And the interpretation of those words. Mm-hmm. Most buildings are measured with a modified
2: BOMA a whole other topic a whole number topic <laughs> but just using the word modified just yeah it's modified right here's the standard and we modified like, it i
1: did this and i took some liberties a little bit of this yeah. a little bit of this yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's
2: exactly what it is and some yeah. people do it different than others and um, so what is the best thing to eliminate your risk is the triple net scenario better is the full service scenario better
1: yeah, and Kevin's whiteboard map the uh, the other day when, you know, this came up uh, was very helpful. And I, I was telling Kevin, I do feel like we should create a little graphic and maybe like when I'm making a very unflattering face, just put it in the video.
0: So people can pause an it and see it? <laughs>
1: um, because it is, I mean... It's helpful to know even though like nothing is cut and dry and there are anomalies, even if someone says it's a modified gross lease, what does that really mean? Um, But I do think we should provide our listeners with a little cheat sheet. Um, But I also just think if you are a tenant, if you're looking for space um, and are considering signing a lease at any point in time, um, having a real estate professional that is looking out for your interests and not representing your landlord is vital to getting someone mitigating knows, the risk.
2: Getting someone who knows what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I would hate to say this, but I think there's a lot of people. He's going to say it anyway. I'm going to say it. I'm, say it. Going. I'm going to say it anyways. He's a but second but no.
1: glass of bourbon. He's <laughs> Definitely it. <laughs> is, is
2: there are a lot of people that really don't <laughs> understand the true nuances of this. And I think if you're going to negotiate on one side of the table, you should really understand what it's like on the other side of the table. These are things that landlords do because they can, because they negotiated. It's a profit sure. center.
1: And let's yep. get back to what we talked about on the last episode of, you know, being what some people would call a generalist. But, you know, working, having experience on both sides of the transaction, you understand that. You understand fully the landlord's motivations and the things that the landlord can and will attempt to to do in a lease, like what is favorable to the landlord. And then when you're representing the tenant, you're all the more prepared to look out for those things mm-hmm. um, and, and to mitigate the risks of those things. So, yeah, And
0: I, I mean, we, Michael said it before the cocktail party, oh, real the estate, cocktail party. It, it is definitely my Achilles heel. When I hear about people talking about their real estate at cocktail parties and what they're paying, because they really don't truly understand the total cost of occupancy. And if I had a nickel for every time I've told someone, whether you were hiring me or Paige or Michael or Tommy down the street or Bob, whatever, hire somebody to help you walk through this, uh, jungle of opportunity for the landlord to make money. Cause that's and when what you're considering do, hiring money.
1: someone, ask them these questions and they make sure they have <laughs> well, the it, answer. It's interesting
2: because in the cocktail party, if you ask the very first question, you know that they don't know the answer. And it it just—you want to stop it right there, or or in those cases, that's when my wife kicks me. But it's—they just,
1: yeah, they
2: just (laughs) simply do not know. And you realize that, oh my lord, you know, this uh, is—you're—you're tied to the tracks now, and here comes the train. um, Because this is something you live with. This is—we can't discuss this in a half an hour podcast. Mm -hmm. This is something that you know we've learned over a period of. X number of years, and it's it's a significant thing, and it is not going away. If you don't pay attention to this, when you negotiate the lease, you will live with it for whatever that term of the lease is.
1: And and, and if you're considering signing an extension, also that. The, Look at the original lease. Don't just sign an addendum to your lease extending your term because you're still agreeing to all of the things in the original lease. So like if you right. have the 2007 base year and you don't update the base year when you renew—
2: if you're talking to someone about renewing your lease, the very, very first thing you should say is, I want a new base year.
0: To next year's date. To next year's date. Amen to that.
2: Absolutely. So there's
1: your takeaway. The away. very,
2: very, very first thing. And you probably just saved yourself 3 $4 a foot. Just like that. Just like that. By understanding that. And here's the problem. Most Change in one date. Changing one date, changing one line in a lease. And that's why proposals are four pages and leases are 40. Right. You know, it's all knowing what they do and how they do it.
0: Well, I I think I got a good story. Well, at least I think it's a good story that we can end on. But before that, um, what about larceny? (laughs) The bourbon, not the play on words and thievery, but uh, the taste. Oh, I like it.
2: Have like you mean. liked it
0: before today, or you like it? Yeah, I,
2: I liked it before today, and um, uh, Larceny is uh, uh, distilled by Heaven Hill. And Heaven you Hill. Is, is that what fans? his
1: highlighted notes are over <laughs> yeah. there, bourbon tasting? No, no this is but actually We thought a he least. came yeah, prepared is with i yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh,
2: Heaven Hill, uh, <laughs> my wife's. Uh, How the heck
0: do you know that it's Heaven Hill?
2: Because I've been to Heaven Hill, and um, uh, it's an Evan Williams product, and uh, uh, my wife's. Uncle Clifford was the uh, CFO. Of Whoa. Oh, okay, Then
0: Uncle why Clifford? did we pay?
2: Pardon? Why did we pay for this? Well, he's been dead any he <laughs> <nine> years right <laughs> now. So. Oh, oh. Wait,
1: but, minor, uh, minor
0: details. But yeah. I, I
1: mean, at $29 a bottle, it's almost like larceny. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Oh, that's pretty funny.
1: <laughs> yeah, it wasn't yeah. good.
2: <laughs> and if you're ever but, in yeah, Louisville, they a have a bourbon? great um,
0: right. Uh, right. museum. What's it? Well, I don't. Know we were just talking about it, that. It's not my cup of tea, but. Well, I think I we, knew that we, we, it. we've established. But that. I still don't do we know we why like cheap. Do we
1: think Kevin even likes bourbon? No, I
0: like cheap bourbons, and.
1: Uh, <laughs> I mean, so I think this is my like a go-to great bourbon is the bourbon. cheapest
0: bourbon you can buy. Hmm. No,
2: I think it's a. I think it's good. I like it.
1: But we do need. I was talking to Kevin today. We need to. We need to find a. Uh, a sponsor. A, a, a bourbon. Well, I wasn't even thinking of a sponsor. I was thinking of like a. Like a supplier, oh, somebody like a guy, like a we need a guy, a guy
0: who could like tell us about the bourbons. or a lady. So. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I, no, I, that
1: can get us the good bourbons because right. like I, we can't stand at the liquor store at 9 a.m. waiting for the truck to come to deliver like the four bottles of like, you know, really sought after bourbon. So maybe Totem should go on the road.
2: That's what I maybe was going to say.
1: Maybe we should take the po- we should we, take the the to podcast
2: on, the road. <laughs> on the road. We should go to Louisville because <laughs> let's do it. If you really want to find a lot of bourbons.
1: They're in that Louisville. would be the place to look. I love it.
0: All right, mm-hmm. so the story. Totem does the bourbon. Totem drill. does the bourbon trail, and we are <laughs> willing to take the podcast on the road. So if you want to host us and be a guest, we'll come to a your gu- location, yeah. and mm-hmm. we would love to talk anything real estate.
1: Or if you that's have on suggestions too for ideas,
0: um, yeah, things you want to hear about.
1: Yeah, we love. Um, we'd love to hear your feedback. Love the comments.
0: But so the story, which is great, back to larceny and landlord. So um, over the last few months, we have come to meet somebody through our travels in this crazy real estate world that we're in. He started a business when he was 19 years old. And that business um, was off to a very good start. And this was 55 years ago, by the way. Um, And out of nowhere, he finds out that his landlord has decided to lease his space to somebody else because he didn't have a lease. And the light bulb went off with this young gentleman at the time that the landlord controls the keys. And he decided on that day that he was going to start buying real estate. So he bought a duplex. And fast forward 55 years later, he owns property in 19 different states in some 60 different cities, all because he realized that the landlord, who makes the rules, back to our whole conversation about operating expense pass-throughs is the guy who uh guy or gal who ends up ends up with the keys to the castle so pretty fitting end to the larceny discussion so i think he's probably the one uh in the larceny bucket now but it's an awesome story that's why i love real yeah. estate so yeah. absolutely
1: all right well cheers cheers so, for uncle clifford
0: uncle clifford here we go <laughs> there we go <laughs>